as we as we're now in a new year as we've settled in and even I in a couple weeks will be getting one year older I ask myself and today I ask you what have we become It's a big question, I know. Um, or more specifically, who have you become? What have I become? Are you who you said you would be when you grew up? Are you a fireman, a policeman, a nurse, a pilot, a teacher? Have you become a parent? A father, a mother, or have you become your father and mother? People have been asking this about our nation. What have we become? A nation divided, a people gripped by fear and hypnotized, even now by our devices. What have we become? Well, we all become something, and that's not good or bad, it's just fact. We all become something. But here's the interesting thing. There are many things, there are many parts that make up this becoming vehicle, if I can say that. And may I propose that the last 12 months played a part in building this becoming bus, if I can continue with the metaphor. We all came out of this past year shaped some way or somehow, big or small, majorly wounded or maybe lightly scathed, but like it or not, 2020 played a role in shaping who we are becoming. And I want to encourage you today in this journey of becoming. Because it is that. It is a journey. But this is a journey that you are not walking alone. And you are not the first to take this journey. If you can, open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. We're going to be spending the next couple of weeks here. And I hope and pray that you're encouraged in our time together reading and studying it. This small book has some central themes of suffering, joy, and contentment that have been central and pivotal to my personal growth as a believer. And I sincerely hope and pray that you are also encouraged and sharpened by these themes and these scriptures as well. If you can, please, one more time, uh, let's pray. Father God, I heard a wise man say that whenever we open our Bibles, God opens his mouth. So, Father, as you open your mouth and speak to us today, I pray, may we listen. May those in this room listen. May those online, through these phones and screens and social media networks, may they listen. May we ignore the notifications. May we ignore the distractions. May we ignore the temptation to multitask. 
Father God, would you have, would we give you our undivided attention today? And again, please, would you use me to communicate your living and breathing word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. You know what, let's start at verse 1. I'll start at verse 1. Sorry, guys. Verse 1, Paul, writing to the church of Philippi, he says this. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And even though that's written to the church of Philippi, that extends to you today. May you have grace and peace. Paul continues, verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it. Until now, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. It's the word of the Lord. I have another question. One more question. It's a lie. I actually have several more questions. Next question. How is your memory? How's your memory? Mine's is fuzzy. When you think of the past, when you think of certain people, or even the last 12 months, how do you remember them? How's your memory? Paul has memories of Philippi. Some great ones, like the establishing and equipping of the Philippian church, and the many people he met and proclaimed the gospel to, but he also has what many would call terrible memories of Philippi as well. According to Acts 16, Paul was stripped, officially ordered to be beaten by a mob with rods. He was officially ordered to be beaten again by rods, dragged out of the city, falsely accused and imprisoned. These are terrible memories of a city, yet when he thinks of the church of Philippi, he gives thanks to God. So again, I ask, how is your memory? When you look back at the last 12 months, what do you remember? Was it all bad? Was it all good? How do you respond? Do you get angry, sad, frustrated? Paul saw his suffering in Philippi as suffering for Christ. There was no trace of anger, bitterness, or shame for the city the church, or the people, so much so that when he remembered and prayed for them, he did so with joy. Verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Joy. Joy is how we can look back at terrible situations and somehow, some way. Thank God for them. Joy is the gasoline 
in the vehicle of becoming. Joy is the gasoline in this vehicle. Seven months ago, I was in a terrible bike accident. Crossing an intersection, my bike was caught in train tracks and consequently flipping me over my handlebars, breaking my thumb, fracturing my elbow, chipping teeth, and overall busting my face. Now this is an intersection that I frequently drive past, and every, and every single time I cross it, I replay the accident in my head. And still, every now and then, I shiver at the thought of what happened. This accident radically changed my 2020. Doctor visits, dentist visits, surgery, recovery, physical therapy, and the best part, doctor bills. But... Joy was in the mix. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm not happy that the accident happened. There are certain things that I still can't quite do the same way to this day because of what happened in the accident. But joy had me respond differently. Joy somehow, some way, had me respond in thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that when I flung over those handlebars, I was flung out of traffic, not into traffic. Thank you, God, for talented doctors to take care of me. Thank you, God, for a successful surgery. Thank you, God, for modern medicine and painkillers. Thank you, God, for those. Thank you, God, for handcrafting the human body, which miraculously heals itself. Thank you, God, for loving me and showing me your love through my wife and children who literally cared for me for months on end. Thank you, God. Joy did that. I did not do that. Joy was in the mix. Joy is the complete satisfaction in the person and the presence of God. John Piper defines joy as a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit and causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy allowed me to see the beauty of Christ even during the ugliness of this accident. Joy allowed me to be satisfied in Christ even though I was completely dissatisfied with the circumstances around me. Joy did that. Joy does not cover up the ugly truths of reality, but allows us to be thankful and Christ-like in the middle of them. That's what joy does. This was, Paul exam- this was Paul's example in verses 3 and 4. Paul was able to be thankful and joyful for the people of Philippi, even though he had terrible, terrible experiences there. Matthew Henry in his commentary on Philippians, says this, As holy joy is the heart and soul of thankful praise, so thankful praise is the lip and language of holy joy. One more time. As holy joy is the heart and soul of thankful praise, so thankful praise is the lip and language of holy joy. We are what we speak. If anger, bitterness, cynicism, self-absorbment, 
divisiveness is what consistently comes out of our mouths, then we are not people filled with joy. We're filled with something else, and clearly that something else is not satisfying us. Ah, but if, if thankfulness, peace, loving kindness, goodness is what comes from our mouths, especially, especially during hard times, then this is the evidence of a joyful person. Verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. And verse 5. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. From the first time you heard it until now. We're now beginning to see shades and facets of a long history here between Paul and the Philippines. And the Philippians, excuse me. Commentators estimate it's been potentially 10 years since Paul has visited and seen the church of Philippi from the time he wrote this letter. And look at how he speaks to them and of them. He is beaming with happiness and gratitude for their long-time partnership in ministry. I don't, I don't quote the King James Version often, but today I want us to read how the KJV translates verse 4 and 5. The KJV says this, verse 4. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making requests with joy. And why is, making, why is Paul making requests with joy? Why? For your fellowship. For your fellowship. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. Until now. Fellowship. It's a word mainly thrown about to describe how Christians picnic, drink their coffee, and eat snacks. But, but it's so much deeper than that. If we can get into the Greek roots, fellowship is translated from the word koinonia. The word koinonia can be defined as something that is in common or belonging to several people. It signifies the active joint participation or sharing in a common interest or activity. Koinonia in this case, koinonia in this case, is a very special kind of sharing. Believers have fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And this also leads naturally to fellowship with other believers. We have fellowship with, with each other because we have fellowship with God. And this fellowship... This fellowship with each other and with God is a wellspring. It is a source of joy. Paul was in Rome. His friends were miles away in Philippi, but their spiritual fellowship was real and satisfying, which is why Paul can write in verse 4 that he can make his requests for them with joy. It's because of koinonia. But please understand this. This fellowship, this koinonia with Christ and with each other goes deeper than company. It's deeper than singing songs together. It's deeper than us in a room together. Koinonia also represents everything that believers do share. We share Jesus. We share the scriptures. We share prayer. We share communion. And what Paul is specifically referring to in verse 5, we share in a mission. 
We share in mission. We have fellowship in mission. We share the call to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We share the common burden to be salt and light of the gospel in a time that is tainted with the sour flavor of sin and draped in thick darkness. We said yes to a call to be truth tellers of the good news in an age of fake news. And I'm not simply talking about Democratic or Republican CNN or Fox News. It is the good news that salvation comes in believing in Jesus Christ alone, not in self-care alone. It is the good news that true hope is found in the kingdom of God, not a hope in civil policies. It's the good news that our identity is found in being a child of God, a fearfully and wonderfully made masterpiece. It's not found in our ethnicity. It's not found in a number on a scale. It's not found in a, in a shirt size. It's not found in, in numbers and likes and followers or political stance or a sexual preference. It's not found there. It's found in who we are in Christ. Christians belong to each other in a mutual partnership of gospel sharing. A fellowship, a koinonia that is fueled and sustained by joy. A joy that is produced in their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And here is the icing on this joy-filled koinonia cake. Verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Here's the honest truth. I'm being honest. It's really easy to say all of these things. And it's easy to amen all of these things about being on mission for God and, and being truth tellers of the gospel. It's easy to say those things and it's easy to say yes to all of these things. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's true. We should say yes and amen to all of these things. We are all of these things. But the reality is that it's hard. Here's an example of this reality. Pastor Danny, who prays every single weekday on Facebook for 30 minutes, had his account flagged and taken down. Just praying. The reality is that someone didn't like that Pastor Danny was praying on their Facebook feed, flagged his account, reported him, and had his account shut down. It's the reality. The reality is we will be hated for what we believe. We will be hated for what we live by and say. And this is nothing new. Reality has shown this. Generations before have shown us this is nothing new. Now it just happens on your phone. Here, in Philippians 1, Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, Philippi from prison. He was hated. Just like we will be hated. He was imprisoned for what he believed. He was imprisoned for what he said. But look at what joy does. Look at what joy does. It generates hope. Verse 6, Paul says, and I am certain that God. I am certain that God. 
Paul is confident in and certain of God. In the middle of persecution, in the middle of being unjustly imprisoned for what he believed in, Paul, sustained by joy, had hope and certainty in God. But it gets a little bit more specific here, but because it's one thing to have an overall hope in God. The USA has hope in God. It's in our dollar bill. What we need for today is a promise. We need an anchor to hold on to. Verse 6. And I am certain that God who began the good work from within you will continue his work until it is finally finished. This promise. This is our hope. This is our anchor. We can be certain that God who began and called us to this quantity of fellowship of a mission of being called a Christian will help us and continue to work in us to be a radiant representation of his grace and goodness. We can be certain of that. So whatever your situation Be certain of God. If you've been struggling with finding work during the pandemic or you're unable to work because of the pandemic, have hope. Have hope. Be certain that God is your provider. He is working on your behalf. If you've been struggling with depression, loneliness, bitterness, cynicism, hopelessness, be certain that God is your hope and that his promises are true. He is at work within you, generating hope and certainty in his promises. If you've been battling fear and uncertainty, be certain of this. God is working in you to know and understand and believe that he did not give you a spirit, a mindset, or a posture of fear. But in fact, he gave you one of power, of love. And a sound mind, be certain of this promise. John Piper says this in light of God's good work in us. In Philippians chapter 1, Piper says, Yes, Paul was filled with thanks and joy because the Philippians were partners with him in the gospel. But there was a deeper foundation for his joy than these outward yet precious displays of concern for the gospel and for him. This practical partnership, this fellowship, this koinonia in the gospel was the symptom of something greater. It pointed to a deeper reality. It was the result and evidence that something mysterious and wonderful was taking place. Their partnership in verse 5 gave rise to Paul's confidence and certainty in verse 6. This verse is one of the greatest and most often quoted promises in the Bible, and well, it should be. The fact that God is at work in his people, changing the thought patterns and preferences of our sinful nature so that we can love what he loves, retooling the grooves in our brain, Knitting together the complex strands of our emotional wounds with infinitely greater skill than the world's most foremost microsurgeon, there is no greater promise than this. There is no greater promise than Philippians chapter 1, 
verse 6. Thank you, G. So, we have a promise. We have a certainty that God is doing a work. God is doing a work. So where is this work taking place? Where is it happening? Well, this work, it is not among you. It's not happening among us, but it's happening within us. This God's good work promise is not confined to the situations or circumstances around us. God's good work is not simply the elimination of COVID-19 or the removal of Donald Trump or even Joe Biden. God's good work is not simply getting things back to the way things used to be. Paul is referring not to an external reconstructing or surface improvement, but to an internal rebirth of you and I. One that is generated by God the Holy Spirit. That is the good work. That is a good work. Nothing in this life will prevent the successful accomplishment of God's good work in every single Christian. Nothing will stop that. God is at work. He is at work within you. He is at work within me. He is at work within us as a body of believers. He is at work in us as a universal church of global believers alive for such a time as right now. God is at work and I am certain that his good work will be seen to completion. We have certainty of that. A little over uh, a month ago, my wife and kids recently finished reading C.S. Lewis's classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If, you are, um, if you're unfamiliar with the book or if it's been that long since you've read it, Lewis writes a fairy tale taking place in the land of Narnia. A beautiful land unlike any other. But this beautiful land has been taken over by the White Witch, which under her rule makes Narnia only ever winter but never Christmas. It's kind of like the month of January. In this tale, we're also introduced to Aslan, the great lion, and also Narnia's rightful king. And he is also Narnia's true hope to rid the land of the white witch. I want to conclude our time together by reading a portion of chapter 7, a famous portion of the book. This is where we are first introduced to Aslan, Narnia's rightful king, and also a symbol. Aslan's a symbol, a metaphor, a literary example of Jesus, our rightful king and true hope. Lewis writes this. They say, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And now uh, a curious thing has happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has something or sometimes happened to you in a dream. 
that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if something enormous meaning has happened. Either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or something else lovely, meaning too, meaning, excuse me, or else a lovely meaning too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you can get into that dream again. It was like that right now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside of them. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside of them. They felt hope. Another question. How do you respond today to the name of Jesus? How do you respond today to the promise that God is at work? Or as the beaver said, he is on the move. How do you respond? I pray that you respond in holding on to the promise that God is at work inside of you. To the prayer requests on the board, I pray that you have certainty that God is at work at your requests. And I pray that you are certain of it. That you are certain of this hope. That this good work will be seen unto completion. God is at work. He is on the move. Let's pray.